that brings honor to God and, and helps more and more people to find out about what Jesus has done for them. So, so, so that's what we've been doing in this class, kind of a topical thing, a little bit of uh, culture study, and a little bit of um, reflecting and trying to think about how the Bible speaks to us and uh, helps us to, to um, I don't know what the right word is, adapt or helps us to, to think reflectively and critically about what God wants us to be doing and and, and how we can be what he wants us to be right here, right now. And so that's, that's the purpose of this class. And I, and I hope it'll be helpful to us as we continue on with it. Talking to some about Gen Z, you know, I spent a week or two talking about that. And only the reason we, we did that is really so that we might think about what the future is going to look like because of the growing influence of those who are in their young adult years now or are approaching that time and by sheer numbers, and not only that, but just the pervasive influence of generations as they grow and take the reins of power and begin influencing, you know, take the cultural reins, take political reins, and so on, and start influencing the way culture goes. And that has, a, that has an impact not only on the culture, but also on how we do what we do. Uh, now, we, one, of the, one of the things we spent the last week or two talking about is there are, there are ways we can respond to different things going on in the world that are, that are not helpful. And, and one of those things, as we spent some time talking about, that churches are responding. You're seeing this more and more, and I predict that we're going to see more and more of it in the future, that churches are responding with a spirit of compromise, and the voice that they're using to speak to a changing culture is one of adaptation, is one of, uh, the word we used last week was heretical. There are different voices we can use in speaking to our culture. This has always been true. You know, it's always been true that the church is going to try its best to share the gospel with the culture, right? That's, that's what it's supposed to be doing. What's the, that's one of the reasons why we're here. We're not here to be insulated, to be self-focused, to turn in on ourselves, but rather we are to certainly have this one another spirit, but so that we are equipped to reach out, right? So that we're equipped to reach out to a community, to our to the world around us. And so one of the trends that you see in churches now is one that is, the, the quotations I gave you from Rob Bell last week, having to do with uh, you know, uh, same-sex marriage and some of the changes about standards or ethics and morality when it comes to sexuality and how quickly it's changed in the last, at least with, I mean, it's been changing for a while, but it seems like it's just picked up speed lately with the not only the acknowledgement that it is a, that, that like same-sex marriage and same-sex relationships are perfectly valid, uh, but, but not only that, but it is a wholesale approval of and celebration of, right? So you see some of those changes going on, and one of the, one of the changes that some churches are making is, well, we lost that fight, but God wants us to change with culture, and so maybe we can we can take some passages in, in the Bible that uh, speak against that sort of thing, and we can somehow come up with a way that they don't really mean that so that we can reach the culture. Because, you know, uh, probably the, about the worst thing you can be, culturally speaking, right now is, is uh, intolerant, you know, is, uh, is, is old-fashioned on sexual issues. I mean, that's, that's, that's a way to get uh, shut down, canceled pretty quickly, you know. And so you feel the pressure, maybe. Uh, at least we feel that cultural pressure to conform to, you don't want to make things an issue when they're not, right? But, and so we, we've got this thing going on, and I suspect in the future it's going to, it's going to increase. Uh, the, the changes are going to get even faster. 
as far as churches are concerned. So um, one of the things we talked about last week is not only the, that heretical voice, but what we want to be is we don't want to be a voice that adapts, that, that adapts to culture. We want to be a voice that is countercultural, right? We, we want to be, be a presence in the community that gives people what they need, and sometimes what they need, what, what the world needs, is different from what they think they need. But we are to be a faithful presence. We live in the world, not of the world. We are submissive to the Word of God, and we can't change what we believe based on changing mores of culture, right? Okay, so that's, that's what we were sort of talking about last week when we finished up. We live in a culture of offense. Um, I've mentioned to you a lot of times over the past three, four, or five years, I guess, that book, The Coddling of the American Mind. And in it, it actually is preceded by some articles that he wrote, uh, I believe. Um, and then and in, in one of those, if you haven't read the book, you, know, you really should read that book. <laughs> it's a, it's a really, it is a really eye-opening kind of book, The Coddling of the American Mind. And, and in it, and by the way, you know, the authors are not, uh, they're not secular conservatives, say, if anything, they would, they would probably be toward, considerably toward the left of many of us in here, which, which makes what they say in the book even more remarkable, I think, uh, because they are pointing to certain trends in culture that disturb them because there's this, there's this spirit that has kind of taken root in our culture that says, I ought to be protected, we all ought to be protected from any voice out there that disagrees with us. And so the... the a creation of, of safe spaces on many of our university campuses where, where you, can, you can get away from voices that disagree with you. Canceling speakers who come in with a different kind of, um, you know, some sort of conviction that's different from the majority. And it happens a lot on college campuses especially because many of them, uh, of course, are, are very far to the left. It happens on, on, on conservative environments as well. So there's, there's canceling going on on each, on each side of this. It just seems to happen more on college campuses which are um, culturally to the left, you know. And so you've got those things going on. The reason I'm mentioning that is, is that we've got to think as a church about how we're going to share the gospel in a way that is faithful to Scripture without unnecessarily being offensive. Now, is the gospel, and I say that because, let me back up just for a second, I say that because just because something is offensive doesn't mean we ought not say it. You know? Because the gospel, we've been talking about this on Sunday morning with the hard sayings of Jesus, the gospel is by its very nature offensive. And so we cannot use the standard, is it offensive, and the answer is yes, then I can't say it. It's just we need to be very careful that the way we say it, and we and we ourselves aren't unnecessarily offensive in our presentation and our in our sharing of the gospel. So it's that countercultural thing is what we're talking about. I'd like for you to, if you would, turn to turn your Bibles to Acts two. <clears throat> I'll get there in just a minute. I want to <coughs> I want to uh, share with you. Something I mentioned to you last week, but didn't really explore it. And it is this, the way that the world has changed 
leads us to have different starting points when we share the gospel. And we're going to go to Acts 2 and Acts 17 here in a minute. There is, this is the kind of the scale I shared with you, not visually, but just verbally talked about it last week. If this was a scale and we're just talking about everybody's on that somewhere, everybody's on that spectrum somewhere, a 10 would be somebody who's um, embraced Christianity, has become a Christian, submitted his or her life to Jesus Christ, you know. That's, that's what you would call a 10 as far as this. A 1 would be somebody who has no relationship. This is somebody who, I don't know, in, in, our, in our country, maybe somebody who identifies as an atheist and hates Christianity, whatever you'd want to put on the other end of the, of the spectrum, you know. And I mentioned this too last week, you know, and, and I don't know if you, how you would think about this, but I think this is probably, this is probably true. If, if these are, let me just share a few things with you, and you think about how people generally believe about these in America in 1960, 1950, whatever, versus now. If you were to go to back to 1960, what do you think most people would have believed with respect to these statements or these markers? What about an acceptance of the deity of Christ? If, the, if these were the criteria, an acceptance of the deity of Christ, a belief that truth exists and that the Bible is trustworthy, uh, would people in 1960 generally have had a positive image of the church and its leaders? Would people then have had some kind of a church background and experience that were relatively healthy? Would there have been a foundational knowledge of the essential truths of the Christian faith? Would there have been a built-in sense of guilt or conviction that kicked in when they violated the basic tenets of the Judeo-Christian value system? If those six tenets indicated where somebody belonged on that spectrum and you went back to 1960, you would say, I think, at least I would say this is true, that a lot of people, in fact, I would say the majority of culture, would simply have embraced those. Now, maybe not even consciously on some of them, but they would have embraced those principles. This is just kind of, this is, this is where we are, you know? Um, now, where, where do you think folks would be today? There's, there's no right answer to this, no wrong answer. I don't know what the answer would be. Um, but it's changed, I know that. It's changed a lot. Uh, and if that was the case in 1960, then perhaps, uh, perhaps, uh, yeah, okay, number, this is, this is where, I don't know, put it at a two, put it at a three, put it at a four, I don't know. It's moved a lot to the left, though, I think, uh, as far as the way most people think about Christianity. Acceptance of the deity of Christ, belief about the Bible, and a positive image of the church, um, a church background that was healthy, a foundational knowledge of the essential truths of Scripture, and a built-in sense of conviction when you violated the basic tenets of the Judeo-Christian faith. Um, I would say that shifted considerably to the left. Why does that matter? Well, it matters because when we talk about evangelism, then we have to think about how we present the gospel. This has really challenged me lately as I've been thinking about this because I think that normally when I speak here, and there's going to be a difference between the way we speak here and the way we speak when we're talking exclusively to people who don't belong to Christ, but I know that my tendency is 
to assume a fairly significant foundational understanding of Christianity, right, in the Bible. And, and there's a time for that and a place for that. And certainly here is going to be one of those places, I think, most of the time. Uh, because we typically don't have people in our church building, which is another issue. We typically don't have peop many people in our church building on Sunday mornings who don't agree with us already on most things, you know. C.S. Lewis, in a, an article back years ago, he said, when the gospel first broke out, the evangelistic task was essentially to one of three groups, Jews, Judaizing Gentiles, or pagans. All three believed in the supernatural. All were conscious of sin and feared divine judgment. Each offered some form of personal purification and release. They all believed that the world had once been better than it now was. But now, and this is back in, I don't know when he wrote this essay, 1950s probably, um, he said the average person shares none of those marks. In fact, he ended this essay by saying, I sometimes wonder whether we shall not have to reconvert men to real paganism as a preliminary to converting them to Christianity. I thought that was a, an interesting way of thinking about it. All right, let's go to Acts 2. I want you to, we won't spend a lot of time um, looking at this familiar text to many people here. Um, this is the first gospel sermon after the resurrection of Christ, of course. Peter preached it, and we've got the apostles preaching in, in Jerusalem. You've got the audience. Who's the audience here? That's yeah, a Jewish audience, right? It's people who had come from all over the Roman Empire to be there for Pentecost. So they uh, come for Passover, stay for Pentecost. And uh, it's a big deal, you know. These people, they, they had made this pilgrimage. Many of them had these. Most of these folks weren't Jerusalem residents, so they'd come from all over the place. And you'll notice, if you read this sermon, that it's a, a big part of its quotation of Scripture, Old Testament passages. You know, he says, he greets them in verse 14, uh, and then he immediately, verse 16, 17, goes to the prophet Joel, and he quotes him, you know. And he goes on, and, and um, he talks about Jesus in verse 22, uh, the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Uh, it's just, and then verse 25 starts quoting the Psalms. I mean, and you look at the preaching of Peter uh, when he's with a Jewish audience, and you'll notice a, a particular approach. Uh, he assumes a lot. He assumes they believe in God. He assumes they believe in the Scriptures. These people love the Scriptures. They love the Old Testament. Uh, they love God. They, uh, they believed in the importance of obedience. They believed in creation. They believed in Abraham and Moses and David, uh, the king. I mean, they believed that, that the word of God was true. They had all these assumptions. And, and so when Peter, when, when Peter starts talking to them, that's where he starts. And that's, if you guys have taken evangelism classes or done evangelism before, that's, obviously that's where you start. You, you you start on common ground, then you move ahead from there, right? I mean, that's, that's, the, way we, that's the way we go about stuff. Um, there's a big difference between Acts 2 and Acts 17. And if you want, I'd like for you to go to Acts 17 to look at this sermon that Paul preached there. And you guys probably know where I'm going with this. I started thinking about this. And actually, this book that I've been reading and prep for this class talks about this. But um, he's not the first one to come up with it and... Uh, lots of folks have reflected on this kind of distinction over the years, and I kind of got interested in it back when I was taking a class on uh, 
I was taking a class on communication you know, 20, 20 something years ago, and a circular class on communication, like theories of communication, how, how and the, we were studying some particular scholar who had developed this theory of adapting to the audience, and it was, it was, it was studying how people just naturally communicate, especially people who are good at communicating, they, they, they know the audience, I mean, this is a basic thing of communication, but he, he went really deep in this sort of thing that you, you use the, the images you use, the words you use, the approach that you use in your communication, if you're good at it, you know, you adapt it to the people you're talking to. So I wrote this, my paper for that class was on Acts 17. And what I wrote about then was how, what I, just a little bit of what I want to share with you tonight, and that is that throughout this sermon that Paul preached in Acts 17, it's so different from what he does in other places. It's, it's, it's amazing what he does. He doesn't appeal to Scripture because they don't believe in Scripture. Now, he's eventually going to get to Scripture. You've got to get to Scripture, you know. But you don't start there. Not with, a, not with an audience who doesn't believe it. You know, if you're talking to someone today, you can't assume some of the things that we used to could, could assume. And so in Acts 17, he's talking to a group of philosophers. These people were, they weren't atheists. They were polytheists. They believed in supernatural powers, uh, supernatural beings. They just... They just were, were confused. It was more, it was, it was very much, I see some similarities between Mars Hill and Athens and, and modern day culture. You know, truth is relative. Everybody believes what you want to believe. Let's just come here and talk about it. We're, we're all right. You know, we're all right just because we're here. You know, that sort of thing. That's kind of the, on Areopagus, you, you got these, you know, Stoics and these Epicureans and all these different philosophers coming to the table and, and talking about, he loved to talk about new stuff. And, and Paul got there and he says, verse 22, I perceive, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. Now I know we don't have everything that he said to them, but he goes on, he starts at this, this, this point. See, see, what he's doing there is it's pretty cool what Paul's doing. He is taking in Athens, the intellectual center of the world, you know, the it's full of history with Greek philosophy and all these smart folks, you know. He's right there at the center of this. And he takes these, these folks and he, he finds something there. He finds this touchstone that he can use, this belief in an unknown God. He says, there, okay, let me start there with you. You believe in an unknown God? Okay. We agree on that. We agree that there is a God that you don't know, you know, essentially. And then he goes from there and he shares, he shares the gospel with him. Uh, and he quotes this poet, you know, um, that this Greek poet, where's that? Down in verse uh, 28, I think. Um, no, where is it? Epimenides was his name. Anyway. I guess, yeah, it, it is verse 28. For in him we live and, live and move and have our being. It's Epimenides, they think. And he's quoting this guy. They would have known. That's, that, I mean, that's just basic communication. Now, but it's just interesting to contrast an Acts 2 approach with an Acts 17 approach. And the reason it was different is because the audience was different. And what I'm, I guess what I'm suggesting is that it's important for us just to ask questions, to be reflective, and to ask what can we do to do a better job in reaching our community? And, 
And I'm reflecting on this personally as well because I think we, we all have to do this. Um, I was reading, and, and I don't want to, this to be discouraging at all. Ultimately, we are filled with hope because God's in control. But we also don't need to stick our heads in the sand and act as if everything's perfectly good when it's not, you know. It is frightening. I, I don't know if that's the right word. Sobering maybe is a better word. But there are 60 churches of Christ that close their doors every year. 60. A little more than one a week. If you look at that trend, which I don't know where, you, just because something's happening doesn't mean it's going to keep on happening. Right? But because of changes in culture, uh, some of that's just because, you know, rural churches kind of get smaller and smaller, kids grow up, and they don't end up staying in the community. They, get, they, they go to college, they end up in a, in a city where they can find a job, you know, not in a rural area. Often, you know, that's the way people move to Birmingham. Grew up, a lot of you, I, you know, grew up in small towns all over the south and maybe beyond, you know, and we end up in a bigger place because that's where opportunities are, whatever. And so that's happening. So there are a lot of different reasons. But if the trend continues in the, in the way that it's going, it's not a good place. I mean, obviously, right? So what does that mean? I've said this many times, and I, I want you to hear this. Asking the question is what's important. And the answer might very well be that we need to just do a better job of what we're already doing. That might be the answer. Or the answer might be there are things without touching the foundations of the gospel and what we hold dear, what cannot ever be changed. The answer might be we can adapt our approach in order to do a better job in reaching people. Um, when, we, when we look at our world, and I, and I guess some of the reason I'm talking about this is because I really, and we said a lot about it, is I really think it's important for us to acknowledge that the world is different. There was this movie in 2013 called Gravity. It had Sandra Bullock and George Clooney in it. There was a scene in the movie where it's in, they're in outer space, and um, Sandra Bullock's character, she, she felt like in that moment or in the, in the next few minutes she's going to die. And there's this scene where she says, um, she's, she's speaking, if you guys saw that movie, I think she's speaking you know, through her tears out to the, just the emptiness of space. And so she's talking. She says, she said, oh, I'm going to die. I know we're all going to die. Everybody knows that, but I'm going to die today. It's funny that, you know, to know. But the thing is, is that I'm still scared. I'm really scared. No one will mourn for me. No one will pray for my soul. Will you mourn for me? Will you say a prayer for me? Or is it too late? Oh, I mean, I'd say one for myself, but I've never prayed in my life, so nobody ever taught me how. Nobody ever taught me how. We, that scene is, is a pretty haunting scene. And, and where we're heading is that we're, we're becoming a culture where that is the rule, not the exception. Where people do not have the common experience of being taught to pray, of praying at home, of praying at church, where more and more people are simply, they, they are simply, it's not that they're aggressively atheistic, and they probably, most of them wouldn't even identify as agnostic. 
It's just they don't even think about it anymore. And we are put here to make a difference, to help people think. Uh, go to that next one, Mark, if you would. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I want to tap out a song up here. And I want you to tell me what song it is. Okay? You'll, you'll know the song. Okay, here it goes. No, it, it, it might fit with that one. Happy birthday. It's happy birthday. All right, good. There was this, uh, this how many of y'all got it? Okay, a couple of, it's, um, the, the percentage is about 2.5%. So if you got it, you're, uh, you're, in the, you're in the top. You're in the top echelon, right? So you've, you may have heard that ex exercise before. It was done, um, at least Stanford did an experiment, an exercise in this some time ago. And the you know, interesting thing about that is that 2.5% is about the number of people who get it. You know, you figure out what song it is. But the people who are doing it, they think that 90% of the people are going to get it right. Why? Because when you're tapping this, you, you've done this before. Like, I hear the song in my head. I'm like, why can't, how could you not hear the, how could you not get it right, you know? I mean, it's so obvious when it's in your head. And it's, you know, people don't, people don't hear it. And, and I bring that up because I think there's a sense in which, and I'm reflecting on this as someone who tries to communicate this to people, um, is that sometimes we assume that people are hearing what we're hearing. They're thinking what we're thinking. And they're not. Not anymore. So what does that mean? It means we've got to think, and we've got to work, and we've got to be a church who, who just recommits ourselves every year to thinking, what can we do to reach these people with the gospel? When we explain the gospel, we are trying to explain it to a world who doesn't really have categories for it anymore. Uh, I think I mentioned to you a week or two ago about uh, Jesus being the perfect example of this, and we're just... You know, constantly trying to think about what we can do to be more like him. But uh, it's so easy for any of us in any church to get off base on one side or the other. We can share uh, truth without grace, and that's just judgment. We can share grace without truth, and that's just license. But what we try to do is to share with our culture who desperately need it that Jesus is the answer. He is the John 1.14. He is grace and truth, right? Personified. He bodily, he embodies that, that truth and grace. He's the, he's the, the um, I'm not going to condemn you, go and sin no more. The grace and the truth and we said that passage before, but, but how often does it, is it so easy to do one or the other? I'm not going to condemn you. It's full stop. Or skip that part and say, 
stop sinning. Right? Which of those is right? Is it the grace? I'm not going to condemn you. Or is it the truth? Stop sinning. Yeah, I mean, it's Jesus coming to this woman, and she knew that he loved her, and he, and he, and he, and he helped her to see that's not what God created you for. But also, he forgives. You know, you, you are welcome. It's, it's this. All right, I, I don't want to uh, belabor this. Um, yeah, grace, move on one more. Um, just a couple, couple of things about um, the way things have changed and the way things are now. Um, according to the research of the National Center for Biotechnology Information, the average attention span has dropped. Did you know that? It has. This is interesting. It dropped from 12 seconds in the year 2000 to 8.25 seconds in 2015. That is a 20, 25% drop in just over a decade. Now, you know, if I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking, well, you know, 12 seconds wasn't exactly, uh, <laughs> you know, that wasn't exactly wonderful, was it, back in 2000? Uh, it's dropped. The average attention span of a goldfish is nine seconds. So I'm not sure what that says. Um, we're 0.75 seconds less attentive than that little fish you've got in your fish bowl at home. The average length, and, and Wes looks at some of this on our YouTube and our, our YouTube channel and so on, you can pull all this stuff off of it from what I understand. But anyway, the average length watched of a single internet video is 2.7 minutes. The percent of page views that last less than four seconds, 17%. The percent of page views on the internet that last more than 10 minutes, 4%. The percent of words read on web pages with 111 words or less, 49%. So if you go to a web page, it's only got 111 words on it. Um, and you make it through about 50 words. The percent of words read on an average web page is 28. I don't, I, I'm mentioning some of this just to impress upon us the importance of looking at the world around us. I don't, I'm not, I'm really, with that statistic, I'm not suggesting anything particularly other than it makes me want to ask, okay, what does that say? What does that say about the world, and what does that say about the way we're going to do evangelism when recognizing that so many people, because of the way we have been shaped by media now, is to go from one thing to the next without going deep in anything. We can find so much just by clicking, you know? We can find so much, but the temptation is, is people go, they go broad, they go wide with all the information, but they don't have the mental discipline to go deeper. That affects the way we think about the gospel. All right, just a couple more, and we'll be done. In fact, we need to finish up now. Uh, we live in a very visual age. We'll go to this next. This is a Bible that was printed in the year seven, 700s, in the, in the, the century, 700s. Um, and it's interesting, most people couldn't read, you know. The vast majority of human history, most people couldn't read. So we just, it's the, way it, the way it's been. And this is one of the, this is a really pretty cool Bible. You can, you can get online and look at some of the images in it. But it's this blending of image and text in the 700s. And the reason he did that is because he wanted the gospel to be shared with the world he lived in 
and most people were not able to read the Bibles that were being passed around. Just uh, an adaptation to his culture. Um, Oxford Dictionary Word of the Year in 2015 was this. Go ahead and put it up if you would. That was it. <laughs> now, I think that one's out of vogue now. I think that marks you as a boomer if you put, uh, if you put that in your text from what I understand. But it was a 2015 Word of the Year, just again a reflection of changing times. And I thought that was pretty fascinating. Let me close with one more, one more slide. And that's, uh, that's not a happy note to end on, but 42% of the atheists are between the year, this is in 2014, so it's a little bit dated. 42% of all atheists are between 18 and 29. And so if you, I suspect that number is still similar, but those who are 18, between 18 and 29 are now, you know, what, 27 and 36 or so, 25, 20, 25 and 36. Um, okay, we'll um, go to that last one. That's it. That's the last slide. So we'll just close with this. When we, we look at Acts 2, we look at Acts 17, we look at the way that Peter, Paul, and the apostles, the way Jesus shared the gospel, it's just a being aware of the world around us um, and, and praying that God will help us to be what he wants us to be, you know, because we have an incredible task ahead of us. It's not, I don't want it to be disheartening. I don't want you to hear that. But I do want you to hear a note of, a note of, um, I guess, caution or maybe a sobering word that this is real. It's happening. It's the world around us. And so for us to ask, what can we do here? We can't fix everything out there, but what can we do here to help um, the world hear the gospel because they really, really need to hear it. All right, let me pray and then we'll, we'll, we'll go. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for helping us just in taking care of us in every way. Well, we, we pray, Lord, that you'll help us to be a congregation, a church who uh, is serious about our role here and we can share the gospel that all of us will individually. Just be a conduit through which you share your grace, mercy, truth, kindness with the world who so desperately needs it. We love you. Please take us home now safely. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks so much, you guys.